0: Hey, Augmenters, I'm Julie, and I'm Jimmy, and we are here to augment your leadership through mentoring. Today, we are joined by Uvashi Botnar, a leader, a mentor, a sponsor, and the author of The Sustainability Scorecard, How to Implement and Profit from Unexpected Solutions.
1: Today, you will learn how to connect better with others through the relationship of a sponsor. And importantly, Urvashi will tell us how to best ask for someone to become a sponsor. Also, you will grow to your potential by shaking up the game. Before you can break the rules, you must first learn the rules. This entire episode is encompassed by the Augmenter's principle of vision. You must see where you wanna go before you can go where you wanna go. Speaking of going, Julie, let's dive into this episode.
0: Here we go. Irvashi Badnagar, we are so happy to have you on Augmenters today. Welcome. How are you doing?
2: I'm great. Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for coming on. We are so excited about this conversation. Irvashi. I can see we have tons of overlap in all different kinds of areas from healthcare to nutrition to leadership. And of course, to mentoring, which is what we're here to talk about today. So one of the ways we love to have our guests introduce themselves is to tell us a little bit about their background and in the context of you having a mentor who saw something in you before you saw it in yourself. So we'd love to hear who that was and what they saw in you.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I'm a healthcare person. I have a background in uh, physical therapy and got my doctorate in it. Um, and I was practicing for a while before I went on to my consulting life and so on and so forth. But in terms of mentorship, I would say that I had early sponsors and not mentors. But everything sort of changed when I, went, I got my MBA from Yale. And all of a sudden, I was surrounded by incredible mentors that I had missed for, for the first like 30 years of my life. So I met incredible people who were who I regard as mentors, whether they uh, regarded me as a mentee or not. And someone that actually ended up being a very strong mentor of mine personally and professionally, but also a sponsor has been my co-author, Paul Anastas. And mm. that's been quite an unlikely partnership because he's actually an organic chemist by background. And he does a variety of things. He's worked at the EPA. He's led policy change. He's obviously a professor at Yale and investor. And he's just an incredible human being with the multitude of talents. But he ended up being my strongest ally and mentor sponsor since Yale.
0: Okay, well, let's dive into sponsorship because that is something that comes up here and there on the pod. And it sounds like with that being sort of your first go-to in the conversation, Mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about what you sort of define sponsoring to be. And also, how did you find sponsors? Because sometimes we have listeners who are very interested in the sponsorship side versus the mentoring.
2: Yeah. You know, over the years, um, I, and I, it could be a function of the niche that I'm in and that there aren't too many people that specialize in it. So we have a little bit of a community here. I now often get asked how I arrived at this place in my career and how does one navigate their way into this field. And so I often say that I accidentally kind of fell into it. I had intended to do two, three other things. Um, Only but two that US said 30?
1: come on, you're well more competent than that. You could at least do five or seven them, I have faith. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, but you know, I, I had an accidental sponsor early on in my career. Um, I, I've often talked to people about how I was in physical therapy, and I loved healthcare, but I just didn't see myself as a clinical provider, ultimately of any sort, whether I went on to get an MD after my DPT, or nursing or anything else, I just ultimately realized that one on one patient care was not as fulfilling to me as A career at the 50,000 foot level, like where you can really design care and affect change at a broader level. And when I realized that, I oddly enough went to my boss and said, Hey, I know I'm working like 60 hours a week and sometimes come in on the weekends because I can't finish charting, but I need more work. I'd love to not get paid and do more work because I'd like to gain skill sets in management. And I understand that we have three or four key priorities as an organization, and they match up, oddly enough, with our two or three biggest challenges. And I'd like to really spearhead the change on this and be like an operations manager on the ground. And that was really early on in my career. Nobody denied me the ability to do more work without getting paid is probably
0: talking. <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> <I> no. <know.
2: laughs> and you know, there's a really great lesson in there. I've talked to several people now who say, oh my gosh, that's the worst negotiation ever. <laughs> and yes, of course, women without mentors would put forth such an argument. Highly qualified, right? Highly qualified, you know, deep expertise. Women would also very, very much undervalue themselves and say, you know what? No one's going to give me this role for free for, for, you know, X percent more. So I should just go ahead and do it and incorporate as part of my normal standard work. So anyway, that's what I did because I had no mentors. I had a sponsor who was an unlike who, who basically said, yes, I'll be our sponsor because I don't want to pay you more uh, because that's what you're offering me. That's that's the offer on the table from you. I can't get lower. So
0: um... <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it.
2: But me, take I have it.
0: to stop you because I feel like there that was a confidence level. Of course, there was both. Right? There was the the confidence to say, I think I can actually do this, and I think I can help you. Of course, there's a flip side of saying I'll do it for free, which basically was like, if I mess up, you know, you're at no loss. Was there somebody, you know, that takes, that takes, especially the transition from healthcare provider to management. Was there somebody who saw something in you and taking that leadership role, like earlier on before that, that really saw like, while you're kind of doing this one job, could see leadership in you? Or did that just totally come from you? Uh,
2: I will say, I will say that it totally came from me. I, um, I just yeah. I I just wanted to pursue something else. And that's not to shed a poor light on the organization where I was working and the leadership there, because they're actually phenomenal. But this is the problem that healthcare in general faces, which is burnout at every level. Everyone is so burnt out. And I reported directly to my director at the time. So it was high performing enough to report at like the earliest part of my career to a director who ran like six or seven clinics but he just did not have the bandwidth to also Mm. dive deeply into my like overall professional goals and that kind of thing he was more concerned with our annual review and our quarterly revenues and that kind of thing and 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 was most likely burnt out himself and so with with such a high volume clinic so i really don't begrudge the fact that I didn't really have mentors. This is just so unfortunately, very common in healthcare. And I was just one of those people. And so it just so and I didn't honestly, ex- because I knew that was a situation. And this is kind of pervasive within healthcare. And we talk about it so much we always have. But previously, there was no solution for it. Now we have a lot of digital health tools that help solve for burnout and that kind of thing, to a degree. But yeah, I I sort of didn't even expect my sponsors to advocate for me mm. in any way, but oddly enough, they did, and both ended up writing me uh, really, really great reviews to Yale, and I believe that was one of the really compelling factors that helped my my admission. And I didn't mm. expect it. I just I just gave them sort of a template response to say, "Hey, if you can incorporate these key things, that would be great," because. These are actual metrics that I've met or surpassed, and we're, it's not embellishment in any way. And they went ahead and actually wrote me a great reviews. So, so in my head, being again an underqualified, an overqualified, underconfident woman, I thought, "Well, this is the biggest payout ever," which arguably it was. But, um, but yeah, it was payout <laughs> hey, to
1: yeah. go to grad school. Oh my god! I can handle this I money. Sweet.
2: <laughs> right. <laughs> well, so well, yeah, so I had sponsors early on and um, and then I ended up meeting more mentors, which has been phenomenal. But I've ultimately realized that we do need a combination of both mentorship and sponsorship.
1: I love it. And I, I know you weren't trying to make me feel bad on a Friday morning, but I'm currently 0 for 2 on writing recommendations to Yale for the MBA program. So, uh, congratulations on, uh, <laughs> on 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 the people who recommended you. Uh,
2: <laughs> exactly. Uh,
1: I I have a feeling you would have uh, done just fine uh, on your own without without great uh, recommendations, just by hearing your story about you know I want to take on more management and such a clear. Thought and I wrote it down was one on one patient care is not as fulfilling to me. Where did that initially come from? Like, when did that first hit you? Do you remember when you said that to yourself? And were you in a conversation with somebody, or did you reach out to somebody to be like, Oh snap, like the apple fell on my head? I gotta talk to somebody about it.
2: Yeah, you know, I mentioned I didn't have any men- mentors, but like, I actually started my career in India and I was doing global public health and, um, and was working specifically with the post-polio and leprosy population. Mm. And to me, and and I had a phenomenal department head at the time who was called out by Bill Gates for being one of Gates' heroes in 2018. He runs the largest department for post-polio, reconstructive surgery in India and Asia. And Mm. so it was a phenomenal experience. But what I learned from him was that health equity and social determiners of health and all of this stuff really affects patient outcomes more than one-on-one visits with the doctors. However, all the treatment we see around us, or I saw around me outside of that little bubble, was all one-on-one patient visits and Mm. how the assumption that a medicine will be the cure for everything or like the solution for everything rather. And so it was this Thinking that the that there is this like vicious cycle here that is not being broken, and I'm just another cog in the wheel. That sort of I I understood that very early on, and it frustrated me. But I understood it more from a systemic level that this problem is bigger than I am, and I'd love to get involved in a solution in some way throughout my profession. But when I actually entered patient care as a provider, as a fully qualified provider, and I was doing research too at the time, I think I I, I think I was probably more confronted with the fact that i'm just another provider and i am just adding to Mm. more research yet this research takes 30 years to meet clinical practice in some way and there's like no robust solution in the market and i don't hear about people working on this and It it just felt more and more like all we are doing is perpetuating this vicious cycle. And I thought that perhaps I could be part of the solution if I left the system as a one-on-one care provider and entered care design in some way.
1: Julie, are you feeling the same thing I'm feeling?
0: Well, I know Jimmy loves physical therapy. So I'm sure (laughs) he's he's also standing on little balls as well as having some... I, I mean, you really, touched, yeah. The best. yeah, I, mean, I love it. He is like
1: your biggest fan already. Um, well, well, before before we get I get to that, I was going to say, uh, Ravashi, I'm kind of overwhelmed with hope at the moment. Like, I usually, when I talk to folks who are in healthcare, it's, you know, the vicious cycle. And then it's like, you know, dot, 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 F plus a bunch of letters afterwards. And yeah. you've just described something different and really attacked it head on. Thank you. <laughs> Honestly. Like,
2: <laughs> oh, Thank you. Well, thank you for having this platform and the work you're doing. I mean, I, I love the both of your stories. And I believe that we're all, you know, united with the same message, just approaching it from different angles.
0: Yeah. No, I think it is. And that's what's been just so great hearing everybody's stories and all the different places that they come from. And to your point, like, I think a real interesting piece of this conversation is that healthcare professional, because there is so much burnout and there is so much like loss of hope, right? And then how are there ways to sort of mentor each other to get in either to like find the joy in the actual work, whether that is one on one patient care or whether that's being part of sort of the broader system? And I would love to talk a little bit about what you said about women and are (laughs) undervaluing our, our skills. Do you mentor other women now? And what kind of advice do you have for those kind of women who maybe are in the same position that you found yourself in when you came, uh, into that situation, asking to do very valuable work, uh, for free
2: absolutely, yes. I mentor women a lot now, and I have mentored women especially throughout my career less so early on because I didn't have as much guidance to offer, but definitely more so now. And a lot of what I hear from women and, and it all ties back to negotiation and standing up for yourself in some way and knowing your worth, but it all goes back to like we often talk about how to play the game because when you think about it, nobody tells us that like, it's, it's interesting. So when I went to business school, there were so many um, peers that I had from investment banking or private equity and all of that stuff who often used the phrase playing the game. And oddly mm-hmm. enough, they were all men, very successful. By the age of 30, 32, they bought a couple of horses and a ranch and like all that kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I don't
0: consider so that, that successful. It, it's good to know. Julie and that I, sounds I That Thank sounds stinky. That sounds stinky and like a lot of work. But yes, I know exactly what you mean. Yes,
2: exactly. And, and they often talked about how the culture in uh, finance and financial services in general had to improve. But they all mentioned that they played the game for a certain amount of time. And this is how you play the game. And I thought, there's a game? I didn't even know there was a game. And does this game exist in different industries and in, in, at different firms? Like how, how much can we drill down into this? I didn't even know there was a game. And so you could call it career strategy, but the way they described it almost seemed a lot more, um, mission driven, uh, and, and like really, really goal oriented. Like they had their eye on the prize and, they said, look, I was on a two year tour or I was on a three year tour. I, I did ABC. I achieved certain metrics and then I went to this other firm and then I did this other thing. And now I can really focus on what I want to do and I can take and, and, and I've acquired these skill sets so I can pursue impact investing or I can pursue ABC. And I thought, wow, I just didn't realize that you could at, the age of 24, just know that this is how you play the game. And so I, as I have firsthand learned what the game might be in certain Did, did you watch The Wire?
1: Was that part of your help? I
2: no, I, I constantly get referred to The Wire, need to watch it.
1: I, I live in Baltimore, so near you, but different uh than the dc area and yeah it's all about the game yeah
2: yes i i am i must say my brothers they often tell me that i'm like leslie nope from parks and rec <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if that's a compliment <laughs> it's coming from I, your brother I, I'm not to do with
1: that about you, but i appreciate you sharing <laughs> 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 i, I I totally cut you off, and you were, you were you were rolling downhill. But uh, so specifically on the game, you know, when you're in these like mentoring calls, like what's your like what what do you do to offer the blue pill to have somebody yeah. you know, you know like, open their eyes to it?
2: Yeah, I, I think a lot of it is the same thing, right? Like really trying to understand where the person wants to go professionally, and um, it's the same mentorship process where you're really trying to uncover what really motivates them and what will help them arrive at that goal or like improve their journey in some way. But if, for example, if I'm speaking with someone and they say, Hey, I don't ultimately want to be a partner at this consulting firm. I really discovered that I like ABC and I don't know how to translate my experience. Now I know to say, Oh, well, okay, so there is such a thing as a two to three year tour in consulting, you don't have to do this Mm -hmm. for 20 years, and find the one client where you can sell x million of work and then pursue that for a number of years, because that's also temporary. There are ways about this. And we then try to like, really tailor their journey such that they get the biggest ROI for their experience while they're there. And I think it takes a little bit of for the the men the mentee can obviously see themselves as being this individual who can see their their line of sight is outside the firm. But for me, it might take me to step outside the goals and mission of the firm and the vertical and the department to say, I value my relationship with you, and I think you will be an incredible asset to the economy and wherever you go, and and I'm sure you'll be successful. I, I just want the best for you, so. I'll tell you what, I think we should get you on ABC projects at that time. If you want to leave the firm, that's obviously I would welcome that because I want you to pursue your goals. And if we can refer you somewhere, if I can personally refer you somewhere where you can continue your career or this is how you tailor your resume so that if I don't know anyone or you can find a role somewhere yourself that's how i've um that's how i've conducted some of those conversations
0: i my brain is all over the game and it's like thinking about how there is the element of like hey this is what the game is and this is what the outcome is versus is there a way to play the game differently and can yeah. especially you know i think my impression i have never been a part of the game because i've always been an entrepreneur on the outside but is there like is a time that we help women kind of create a new game or their own game? Or are we not ready for that yet? What do you think?
2: Oh my gosh. Yes, absolutely. But don't, don't we see that like everywhere? I I see now that all of these traditional industries are being disrupted and they're now uh, the new competitors are startups or series B, C firms that are doing incredibly well in the space and are really challenging whole businesses within global organizations to reinvent themselves and completely renegotiate their supplier contracts or whatever it might be. So, and I really see women leading the charge because without mentorship, I assume there were a lot more women entrepreneurs or women were forced to leave the workplace, like in consulting, at least I can say there's a cliff, right? Uh, When you reach a certain level, ultimately, you're just so tired or you're unable to travel or you're unable to meet these expectations. and, And you are not coached out of the firm, but you just realize that there's no promotion for you. There's no increased salary for you. You're just going to stay at this pace and this breakneck pace for like five years until life settled down a little bit and your kids grow up. And can you really do that? You're not going to get any time with them. And so there's this huge talent that has been disrupting traditional industries for a while. And I think it has finally come, thankfully come to the point that global organizations are being disrupted and women are also climbing more and more into upper management. So yes, it's the business case is closed and it's more about breaking those ceilings more and more now, I think.
1: I think you really put that succinctly in that, you know, men have been in so many management positions with such a greater percentage for so long. And it's not like things are fucking peachy, you know, like there's still a lot of room for improvement. So again, you're giving me hope that there's so much room for improvement that can be assisted by this new group of leaders that are finally getting empowered. Uh, And as you said, you know, a lot of times, you know, the cliff or the glass ceiling comes into with family, which is so messed up when if... You, everybody wants employees and people who they work with who are strong family members. Uh, Julie's company, Well Global, is fantastic at incorporating uh, families, especially women that are pregnant or thinking about having a family or have young families and continuing to empower them. And I, I've seen it. You know, from my outside perspective, is just how strong an organization it creates. My question for you, Urvashi, is then how can men? You know, I'm asking selfishly for me, but how can we be better mentors to women who may be slow, uh, quickly approaching this kind of classic glass ceiling, and making sure it's shattered, you know, for the better, you know, of our society.
2: I, I think it starts with thank. First, thank you for the question. Uh, th- that's such that's such a big question. And it starts with for the, the question. Acknowledgement. <laughs> yeah, starts <laughs> with the question. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the
1: question is the easy part. You know. Uh, you know, talk is cheap. not
0: really, uh, no, not everybody well, asks that question. So yeah, yeah, you're I, I think it. you're I mean, the first
2: yeah. male to ask me that question. So thank you. Yeah, um, <laughs> <laughs> I you remind me of a friend of mine who would regularly sign up for like women's symposiums and women's meetups, because he wanted to be an ally. And when I asked him why, then he said that it would be such a huge missed opportunity if he didn't like economically for any firm. And hmm. And I think that's my response to you, is that I think men in general, and it's not just about men, I think it's about traditional systems that just aren't working,
1: mm, uh, right. quite
2: simply. And there's, there's such a huge missed opportunity that we would be stupid to leave money on the table if we didn't allow diverse, uh, additional players to enter the game and transform it. We've just been doing, uh, my my mentor and co-author says very often that we've been doing things wrong for so long that there's nothing but opportunities. I, I think that applies here.
1: I lo- Again, you've uh, zoomed out amazingly well from my one-on-one question to your 50,000 foot view of just traditional systems are not working. So it's not necessarily, as I said, about, you know, Uh, gender in this question but there's so much opportunity and like this is the whole purpose for dei and jedi general is that traditional systems are not working like how are we not doing a better job of promoting new ideas new perspectives new skills into these positions because again things aren't peachy yeah absolutely and i
0: think this really goes back to sponsorship right avashi because i think that's a lot of what we're talking about is that Mm -hmm. idea of that you know the people have played the game Whoever they are, they're at the top. They've gotten there. They got their horses. They got their whatever. And then, you know, this group that's coming up. And I'm super optimistic about the future in terms of just gender roles in general. Um, And I think, I think like everything continues to change. How do people who are, are it could be women or men who are in this, you know, they're getting up into there. They've played the game a little bit. They have some thought. You know, they want to get to that next level. How do you recommend they actually ask for a sponsor? Like what should they look for? What kind of words should they use within the organization? Like how how what are what are the like the nuts and bolts of how you kind of get that person who's in that next area? And and this, I am asking really specifically about sponsoring, although I know we talk a lot about mentoring because it seems like you have a really good perspective on it. Like, how do you ask for that?
1: Yeah. And, and is it like a good way to kind of like segment by like type of horse owned, like Brindle or maybe just like, you know, like, like lighter. Or is it like Ferrari juvenile? versus? Or is it like, 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 you know, like stable, <laughs> do they use, use pitchforks still or do they have an automated system? <laughs>
0: <laughs> or are they actually horse race owner? Horse, like that, that would be more exciting. That would be pretty cool. Just exactly. so horses for the sake of horses seems kind of like. But, never, but never. if they're a
1: horse race owner, are they really going to be ready to put their own skin in the game to stick their neck out for somebody else? Good when, point. when if the horse breaks the leg, they're just going to take it out back and shoot it. So We're
0: actually just, just giving a, you time to think about the answer, Ravashi.
2: <laughs> but I love this because you've described exactly why When you're approaching a sponsor, you need a really tight business case because Mm, you'll have, yeah, because you'll have sponsors of every flavor. And, and sometimes it surprises me. You never know. I mean, some uh, sponsors sometimes could care. They they have such strong pressure and uh, such, uh, such sight on their organizational mission or they're like really focused on their own Legacy that um, that they may not have time for mentorship. It's not a bad intention. They just don't have time for it, and and they might still be able to do one to many mentorship, but oftentimes they're not able to and that's why they've embraced the role of a sponsor. And so if you're meeting that type of a sponsor, you just need to approach it with sort of like that business development, art of selling kind of mindset where you're really understanding your audience and what are some of the messages that really resonate with them and you create a business case around it. And I don't mean to say that you create like a 10 page deck and like sell them on the idea maybe that's what they're looking for. Maybe that's what they respond to. And that's like the nuance between knowing your audience. Some, some people would really prefer that. And some people would prefer a conversation over coffee, but they just really want to get into it. Tell me why I should invest my money here. Tell me why the department needs to focus on this. And you're going to get how many hours of my resources time? Okay, what's going to be the output? And when do you intend to start? And if you can demonstrate your clearly articulated vision, then that's great um and and that's the end of the conversation and you and as you demonstrate your success you will get additional sponsorship for that person and from that person and hopefully develop a mentorship type of relationship with them as well because they've realized how valuable your ideas are but uh, you'll often find uh, sponsors that want to be mentors as well they somehow make time for it amid all of their Pressures and responsibilities and things like that. And in that case, you might want to tailor your message a little bit more and be a little bit more personal about it and say, you know, that I'm really passionate about ABC. I have an idea. This is why I think it'll work, but I also want you to be involved from a mentorship standpoint. But I think you'll, because I think you'll have so much value to add. And this is exactly where I think I see your value really demonstrating ROI. And that might resonate with them as well, but. I, I tend to take that approach. I don't know if it's right, but this is. I mean, this is what this is what's you can't for me.
0: totally go wrong with the business case, especially you know, especially obviously in the business context, right? If you're looking for a sponsor within some kind of other way, then you know, what are you going to say, Jimmy?
1: I would be like, have you tried to pitch Heather, my artist wife, uh, with a business case? <laughs> That goes Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But actually, I think that leads to what I was then going to follow up with. Like, I agree with Julie actually, but what you said, Rabashi, which resonated with me, was approach the sponsor with a whole lot of empathy and listening and discovery before you say something, because you need to know the sponsor's preferred medium of communication. You need to know what words, terms, metrics, matter to them and and as you said like maybe it is the powerpoint not to artists and then maybe it yeah. is you know something else to another individual like the you know our our horse racing you know archetype you know get a good youtube video of secretariat and like lead with that and maybe you'll go somewhere so that that really resonated with me And i didn't think about that quite as much that with mentors potentially especially if it's just going to be one 30 minute call which is barely a relationship but if you're really do a yeah. sponsor which is much more intense if the relationship is going to be greater you need to do greater investment at the jump to actually get into this relationship in the right way and i, I hadn't thought about that before you
0: almost need oh, a they- mentor to get a sponsor
2: <laughs> yeah exactly exactly you need somebody to really you need advocates you. Yeah, mm-hmm. to help and influencers. get your
0: story straight to be able to really make that case, and I think we're talking very much like a court. I mean, I'm really imagining this in more of a corporate environment, but I guess it's really within any organization. Is re- I love that, and this is totally new. I don't think we've talked about this at all, which is inc- incredible. After 80 episodes, we haven't talked about this, but yeah, that idea of you know when you approach a sponsor, yeah, really, really being clear what your ask is and what the value is. It's like a business pitch at the end of the day. Yeah approach of yeah. the business case so
2: it t- it t- kind of takes me back to um i had a business school professor who is uh just a great friend of mine now um Dalian and kane so shout out to him because he's awesome um and he we teaches negotiation yeah he's he's incredible i mean he has many many skills besides just being a negotiation professor and he's incredible um but he often says that In some of the biggest negotiations that we know about in history, the distinguishing factor between a win and a loss is the preparation, what in a corporate setting we would call pre-sales and uh, the the more intense your pre-sale is in really uncovering all of these details, um, the, the better your outcome is likely to be. He even one time I had actually just gone to him just one on one for advice on something I was working on. And he said to me, you know what I would do? I would even I would go and sit in your closet so that you're not surrounded by like yelling kids or anything like that and even practice your intonation and your Mm. like and, and how you're delivering a certain message. And I thought, wow, like that blew my mind that not only did this go beyond your typical, like, understanding the audience, the relationship map, understanding who are the detractors and the influencers politically in an organization and getting all of this different buy-in and, you know, all of that stuff, but even going so deep into practicing that delivery so much that you don't have to think about it when you're doing it was astonishing to me. But I must say that it's worked in some of the engagements that i've really really uh cared about or really needed to be accomplished um that was that was the key
1: so i shouldn't ask how much pre sale do you think we did before this discussion
0: (laughs) did we sell you
2: it wasn't required
1: (laughs) Everything's a negotiation because negotiations are discussion. We, we learned that from an earlier True. episode with Susie Chuck about that yeah. negotiation. I love it. Uh, if, if I can, Arashia, I want to pivot just a little bit and think about you know your decision making and how if you didn't have necessarily mentors – And how, if you didn't necessarily have mentors, can you tell that we're going to do some post production on this? So (laughs) how, uh, if you didn't necessarily have mentors uh, that were always around and you had a sponsor who was your accidental sponsor, if somebody had told me that I was going to meet someone who has a doctorate in physical therapy, then got her MBA and then ended up in really healthcare management for 50,000 foot view, I'd be like... Well, that's a unique trail through the woods. You know, that isn't what I would necessarily think to jump out to me. Where did these decision points come from? You know, did, do you have like a really strong family member that you were talking to? You know, did you have an early AI chat GBT that was your best friend? Do you pass it off that? It, you know, I, what was your kind of internal dialogue to come to some of these, even just approach the question to yourself?
2: Well, thank you for the question. It made me really think very deeply about this journey Um, and I haven't been asked it often or or at all, I think. You're right, no one can exist in an island by themselves and nothing is accomplished alone. And so to that end, um, I think think my husband or my boyfriend at the time who is now my husband and all of that was really the first person to tell me that I need to think more broadly about my career. And that if I wasn't satisfied with something, then I had no right to complain about it if I wasn't actively trying to change it. So so I can complain about it if I'm actively trying to change it. So I said, Great, this is all the motivation I need to continue complaining. And and so
1: that's okay. <laughs> so what you're telling me is you decided to, to to give me hope in healthcare because you wanted to complain more.
2: Right, right. We all need to vent and (laughs) about burnout and everything else. But but that said, um, I think he really got me started on the track. And um and since then what I have accidentally done and has helped for the better, uh, or has ended up helping, has been finding unlikely partnerships. For example, I actually got admission into the healthcare track uh, in my MBA program, and I went to listen to Paul Anastas, my mentors, talk before the program started, and he was talking about sustainability and how sustainability was this broad, overarching solution, which could be applied to corporate strategy in such a way that it really transforms existing systems and can transform the economy. and. He also presented in such a way that the future is coming and it's coming faster than you think. And if you don't pay attention to it, you are going to be left behind because some dinosaurs change and some dinosaurs die. And so I listened to that and I think I was young enough and naive enough that I thought, wow, this $200,000 degree should be applied to sustainability and not what I've been doing for the past 10 years. And so I completely changed tracks. And I, all of a sudden, I was surrounded by peers and advisors and thousands of LinkedIn connections later that are actually not from my profession. And I believe that has really helped today because I've been able to bring in stakeholders to help not only solve things, but also provide me like personal guidance and their views on how to navigate sometimes political uh, situations and relationships based on what they see in their industry. And that has been, I think, the key factor, because in a way they don't have a stake in the game. They don't have skin in the game. They're not in healthcare. They're not in my organization. They oftentimes need to be told the difference between value-based care and fee for service. So if you know a little bit about that, you know how disconnected yeah. they are. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, but, but they have really robust solutions. Like nothing in this world exists such that it hasn't, it cannot be solved it can be solved with intellectual curiosity and resources and manpower and things like that. So I, I think that's been the difference is that I've been able to bring these outside perspectives, not only into my career, but my thinking and mindset. And um, and that's really helped.
0: Also, shout out to the husbands, because we've had quite a few recent, recent female guests specifically who really found that their partner was one who I think more just believed in them before they believed in themselves. We hadn't heard it specifically with the I don't want to hear you complain anymore has <laughs> come up with something bigger to complain about. But yeah, that is really incredible. I think when you can find a partner, a life partner as well as business partners who support you on that journey. So that's just a great shout out reminder.
2: Yes. Well, they all belong to Jimmy's tribe of I allies. <laughs> roll with
0: guys like that. They're the best,
1: the absolute best. I have one more question for you, which is you've mentioned the term accidental a couple of times. Like like I had an accidental sponsor, and like I kind of accidentally got into sustainability. I've noticed you know you have a robust volunteering practice that you 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 do as well. Julie and I are huge advocates of volunteering, and like. When I see somebody who says accidental and then I see someone who also volunteers a lot, I don't think it's actually accidental. I'm sh- it's a different word. I don't have it at the tip of my tongue right now. But like maybe it's like just your motor, your desire to go out and affect change and just start, go out and do it. But how how could you know that kind of energy within you not be act- like, it, uh, it can't be accidental. Like you are, you are actively doing things. So like, is there a better word for that for you or something? Like, you know, like, can you help me understand this yeah. accidental word? I don't like it.
2: Oh my God, thank you. I, um, I, I've, you've caught onto something my very best friends make fun of me for because, uh, More because. Worse?
1: You need better friends. Come on, you're very <laughs> welcome.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but I've often been told, you know, like even, even like earlier on, like when you're applying for your first roles or like I was exploring consulting at the time, uh, they were like, you can't go in there and sound mission driven. Like, you got to talk about salary and like like nobody goes to the Big Four excited about the mission that they're going to further for their clients who are spending millions of dollars. to
1: friends. I love these people. <laughs> oh my
2: gosh, they keep it real. And <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
2: but um, but I think it is really about speaking speaking about your mission in a language that everybody understands, and that and that language is often monetary. If you can somehow creatively find a way to articulate your vision and mission, that's how you start developing a business case for it. Otherwise, we get back to the same situation where people, whether they are individuals or they are part of nonprofits or the non-market economy, that area of the economy always needs money. For-profit organizations, and leaders in for-profit organizations always need a way to place their money in ways that will not only further their organizational mission or their own personal mission, but will demonstrate some ROI or further some uh, further some goal in a very tangible way. So if we're not all talking in the same language, nothing will work and we won't be able to affect change for women uh, and, and the cliff and, and all of these very important things. So you're right. It's not accidental, perhaps, now that I think about it, but perhaps it's been a journey of trying to articulate my vision in a better way.
1: So, what word other than accidental? <laughs> I was
2: thinking guided. Uh, you sound a bit guided.
0: You sound guided. Yeah. Like, you have sort of an internal guidance that it's not necessarily, you know, it's not, I don't believe in accident. So, I think you are yeah. guided towards this, you know, depending upon how woo woo you get, like, a sort of chosen journey that you're on, that you're, you and you keep taking the right actions and you, you know when you let go of fear and you show up for it you have a great teams around you your sponsors your mentors your family all these people cheering you on then you're able to kind of keep taking these incredible steps on your path which to Jimmy's earlier point we're so happy to see you doing because it is exciting to know again that people like you are are in these roles and advocating for women advocating for healthcare advocating for healthcare professionals it's super exciting
1: so speaking of manifesting, you did to us in your kind of our pre-sales, you said, you know, maybe the title of this episode would be Nutrition at 1.5 Degrees, and I'm literally like, yeah. what the hell does that mean? Like,
2: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that is a really cool, I, I must say that's a really cool title, um, but <laughs> what does well, it mean?
1: Be, yeah, <laughs> go get it. <laughs>
2: it is but no i i think it goes back to how we have traditionally behaved as if by we i mean like everybody in the economy has traditionally behaved as if uh your personal health and wellness and then end environmental wellness is decoupled from the economy whereas yeah. that's not true there's Ooh. very very many business cases the the case is closed and there are numbers behind this we I wrote a book on it. We, there, there is much information on this subject. So why do we continue to behave in such a manner that all of this is uncoupled from each other and one only one of the three can be achieved at the same time? It's in fact only our intellectual laziness that allows us to perpetuate this myth and continue to prove the status quo. So I think nutrition absolutely needs to be focused on uh, at the 1.5 degrees. It's going to be a very critical factor. And it goes back to personal health and wellness, which is which cannot be achieved without environmental wellness. And so extending life on Earth is. Can only be achieved meaningfully if we pay attention to forever chemicals and um, and detoxifying our environment and channeling large amounts of investment money into uh, these critical areas that are going to that are going to be missed opportunities if we don't invest in them.
1: I mean, well said. Damn, <laughs> I still don't know what 1.5 degrees means. I must be missing something. Like oh,
2: <laughs> I meant with the impact of climate change. Um, oh. So since the industrial revolution, mm. there has been an increase in global surface temperature, which is not just, you know, something that is happening to someone else somewhere else very far away, or to the earth, and we are not connected to it. And it doesn't affect our economy. None of those statements are true. So I, I think nutrition and just a multitude of factors needs to be addressed in a more holistic manner.
1: Arvashi, this was so much fun. I have a very quick thing uh, at the end that I like to do with all guests, where I have a quick rapid fire. I so just Worsatz verbal test for these four words. When I say the word mentor, what immediately comes to mind?
2: Paul Anastas.
1: Paul Anastas, a person. Love that. Love it. Yeah. How about when I say mentee? You can say Jimmy. But uh, other, than, other than Jimmy, when I say mentee.
2: My son, oddly mm. enough. Because isn't that like the most, like I, I try to regard myself as his guide or teacher uh, and not kind of try to own the outcome. I mean, he's only two. So it's easier for me to say that at two versus like a 13-year-old. Actually, it's harder to say that at
0: two. It is harder to say that at two. Because God only knows what two-year-old outcomes are. Is That is
1: uncontrollable. When I say the word sponsor,
2: organizations,
1: organizations, and lastly, coach, uh,
2: you know, it makes me instantly think of um, what was that documentary, the Michael Jordan documentary, and the last dance, yeah, the last dance, and it makes me think of Ted Lasso, but really, someone that is bringing their whole self and has the capability. And the willingness to bring their whole self to your goals and mission, which is such a selfless act.
1: Phenomenal. Julie, can you wrap this up? Because I don't have the words.
0: Yes, it was one. Okay, (laughs) Ravashi, thank you so much. Jimmy's speechless, which almost never happens. So um, (laughs) I feel super inspired. I loved our conversation. I think you really clarified sponsorship and mentoring for us, which is really helpful. Um, We're really working on like tangible you know, tangible outcomes um, for people listening to the podcast. So I think that's a huge takeaway. We're so happy we met you. We really hope to stay in touch and more to come.
1: Julie, I don't think we're ever going to own a horse with Urbashi, but wow, that was a fun, fun interview. And I learned so much. We haven't had a discussion about the, delicate intricacy between sponsor and mentoring and how mentoring can be really the the, the jump off for a sponsor relationship.
0: Yeah. And I think also the reason, I mean, for you and I as entrepreneurs, sponsoring is a different kind of thing because we don't have the organization is small, so you don't need a corporate sponsor to get you where you need to go. But all of our guests that we've interviewed in the corporate environment, and certainly Urvashi, I think really sold me on the concept of being able to get in with a sponsor, being able to show the ROI for what you envision happening, whether that's you moving into a new position, whether that's you advocating for a new initiative, whether it's you, you know, kind of following your passion within the organization, but being able to be really clear on what the benefit is to you to the sponsor and to the organization is going to get you there. It was a good blueprint.
1: I completely agree. And I think it can also be really extrapolated to other relationships. Like even if you go to a friend socially, you're like, Hey, let's be friends. You kind of got to prove the ROI. It's like, well, you know, am I going to do something fun with you? Like, are you, are you gonna make me laugh? You know, we both like the same hobbies and what's going on here. And if you think about it, it's like, yeah, if if your friends don't bring you value, you're probably not going to be hanging out with them. Similarly, like a sponsor, if you just go up to someone and say, hey, will you sponsor me? That is very much a take. There is no given this. And I think showing that, you know, together, this relationship will be much stronger for both people, not just for you. You know, if you're approaching a relationship and only thinking about the ROI for yourself, no matter what the kind of relationship it is, there's going to be an issue there down the road
0: i had never thought of pitching a friend with an roi
1: <laughs> but i guess <laughs> i got beers in the fridge
0: <laughs> i was actually just remembering one of our first conversations how we ended up starting augmenters is you were pitching me on putting mentoring into my company's newsletter which i thought was such a funny pitch that it's like no no you're going to look great you're going to look great you should just put it in your newsletter talk about mentoring and i was idea. like what?
1: yeah who who thinks up that stuff
0: Wow. Only you, Jimmy. Only you. And I think her clarity on the benefit of it, of sponsoring, mm-hmm. which actually I think really relates to our second point. And the other thing that I really took away from Ravashi and keep thinking about is the idea of, you know, you just got to play the game, right? Like, oh, that's so fascinating that there is this game out there, especially in a corporate environment, especially what mm-hmm. she's talking about mm-hmm. through either finance or through, or through any company, right? Like you got to play the game and you're going to get what you're supposed to get. Two things. One, can you actually like shake up that game? And if you are going to play the game, you're going to need a sponsor to help you get in there. And how do you communicate your value to being part of this? And then when you're up there in the middle of the game, can you shake it up?
1: Sometimes I get worried when people say I want to shake up the game because I think that they believe they have a delusion of grandeur to suddenly be able to just come in and be a bull in a china shop. And there might be a way to shake up the game, but you're going to ruin a lot of relationships along the way. And the area under the curve may actually not be beneficial to the overall community. And when I say that, I mean, you might not feel good at the end, if you come into a location, or a business or a community, and not first understand how things occur now, it doesn't have to take a long time, but it shows that you care enough about the people already there that you want to learn how they've been operating before you start being the bull in the China shop. So knowing that the game is usually taught to you by someone who's there, like a sponsor, is a really powerful entry uh, or is a really powerful model to think about entering a new organization, a new culture, a new community, that you really want someone to be your guide when you first get there. And why not have it be a sponsor? Because as Urvashi said, what was the quote, Julie, you like so much? The quote I was looking for is that a mentoring relationship is about listening, yet a sponsoring relationship is about going somewhere together. And that to me was really powerful. And that to go somewhere together, yeah, th- th- there's this great line in uh, the Navy SEALs, you know, if you wanna go fast, go alone. If you wanna go far, go together. And I think that can come together uh, with sponsor uh, as well, and how powerful that relationship can be. But if you're gonna go far together, you're gonna first know how the game is played and then bend those rules. To work best for you
0: i have so many thoughts and i won't get into all of them but and this actually i think is where allyship really comes into play because i think that idea of helping others into the organization in a way that's authentic to them and able to make change is a really great role for sponsor and why we see conversations of sponsorship so much around DEI and and allyship as well so to really help with that and then yeah i think there is an element of you know, when Nirvashi was talking about it, to me, it was very much like a bro finance kind of world she was talking about, right? Like the Yale MBA program, these guys who are 20, 30, whatever, 30 something guys. I mean, come on, um, whatever. And they are, um, you know, this, there's this game. You just have to play the game. So I think that there's an element of being able to bring new people into the game and how they're going to continue to shake it up, which is, I think, a lot of what we've been talking about all this time as well.
1: And shaking up what is occurring now is not a bad thing for people who are currently in the game. I I think it's pretty clear that traditional systems are not making people happy in general, wherever you are. Traditional systems are not working. So the breaking the rules needs to happen and it's going to happen better and faster with a longer lasting impact if you break those rules with somebody as your sponsor or with you sponsoring somebody else to really be able to get further together. Definitely,
0: definitely. I'm excited for the fact that Urvashi is bringing people along, and then she's part of these systems and thinking so broadly about so many different topics from DEI to sustainability, et cetera, which just feels like vision. She's got great vision.
1: She's got great vision. I mean, how jazz were you after this interview? I was just, I was like, this is one of the most exciting shows. This is why we want to do the podcast, because I, I was like, I got I to go get a job. I need to go get a
0: job. <laughs> She could sponsor you there you go i did i did love the pt thing though because it does make me laugh anytime anybody talks about pt i always think of you as one of the world's largest pt fans i've ever met
1: (laughs) i am a physical therapy stand literally i'm standing because of physical therapy
0: (laughs) that's a good plug but yeah it was a great episode it was so much fun i'm excited to see where urvashi where she goes and i am excited to hear from listeners about sponsorship if they found that this episode was helpful if it gave them some tips on how to navigate and uh, and play the game their own
1: way. Physical therapy joke. You don't want to break the rules of your piriformis before you first learn how to take care of your piriformis. Amen. Augmenters out.
0: Wow, you've made it this far, and we thank you. Hopefully you enjoyed our episode and discovered new ways to bring more authentic connection into your mentoring relationships. Want to tell them more, Jimmy?
1: Be an Augmenter with us. Visit our website for the best interactive mentoring content at augmenters.us. Share our podcast with someone you care about. Like and subscribe. And yes, really, you following our show and writing a review, it's a big deal. Your actions provide us with the resources to continue our undefeated, unencumbered, prize-winning productions. We welcome questions and suggestions via email, hi at augmenters.us, or on social with our handle at augmentershq. We are most active and available on LinkedIn and YouTube. Shout out and earnest thank you to our intrepid producer, Erlen Cato. We appreciate you. Augmenters out. See
0: ya.